thing we can do when it comes to intuitive eating is start to push out those external things that we've heard over the years and all of those thoughts, the clickbait, all the diety stuff, all the rules that we've heard. And I've said, Hey, nutrition is a correlational science and there's no right answer. There's a lot of stuff that we know that's been shown to true over time, but there's nothing perfect. It's not one size fits all. You get to decide what you like, what type of foods you like, how foods make you feel. Welcome to Weighing In on Happy, the only podcast that dives deep into discussions around weight, eating disorders, mental health, body image, intuitive eating, wellness, confidence, and so much more. Each week, you'll be coached through different stories and strategies on how to start living your best life today. So if you're ready, here's your host, Victoria Evans. This episode of Weighing It on Happy has been brought to you by my one-on-one coaching program, 90 Days to Food Freedom. If you're ready to go from defeated to empowered, learn how to listen to your body, feel confident in your skin, and stop all your food fear and guilt so that you can eat effortlessly and intuitively, then definitely check out my website at www.victoriaevansofficial.com forward slash programs where you can find out how to work with me. Now, one last thing before we hop into this amazing episode, if you could please take just two seconds on Apple to leave me a five-star review, it would mean the absolute world to me. So please do that now. Again, it just takes two seconds and I would thank you so, so much. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Weighing In on Happy. I'm Victoria Evans, a science-based intuitive eating coach, and I'm joined today by Erica Drury. Erica is a registered dietitian devoted to changing the way we think about food and ourselves. She's a graduate of The Ohio State University and a certified intuitive eating counselor and has earned her certified eating disordered registered dietitian supervisor through the International Association of Eating Disorders Professionals. Welcome to the podcast, Erica. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. So Erica, I would love to hear a little bit more about you and your journey to becoming a registered dietitian. Yeah, absolutely. So I am one of those dietitians where my path was, and of course I didn't realize it at the time, I went to nutrition school to learn how to eat perfectly. (laughs) We know how this ends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I think I just wanted to learn everything I could about nutrition. I, um, I grew up dancing. And so for me, um, I didn't have any like specific teacher or pressure from like my parents or anything like that. I was just always a very like aware child that wanted to do everything right and be good at everything that I was doing. And so a lot of times I was dealing with bringing that into every area of my life. And so at some point, you know, I think I just started to develop a negative body image and I didn't really do anything about it, maybe age 16. But once I got to college, I was studying pharmacy and I loved the science and I just really leaned into that. But I wanted to do something where I was working with people more. I was helping people a little more closely. At the time, I thought more preventatively as well, although I'm not against like prescribing medication or anything like that. And so I had a good family friend who was a dietitian. I found out, oh my gosh, this is a thing. This is really cool. So I switched to dietetics, but I think there, yeah, there was this kind of personal thing going on in the background where here's where I'm going to learn how to do everything right. And then I'm going to achieve my body dreams, you know? 
And I just became every little fact, every little thing that I learned about nutrition was through this lens of eating perfectly, whatever I was conceiving that, um, like a lot of our people, like a lot of people maybe listening to this are like, yes, yeah, same. And, um, and so eventually I obviously became a dietitian. I finished my degree. I got an internship and right before I was about ready to take my exam, I, I just couldn't do it. Like if this is what nutrition is, I was miserable. I had started binging at that point. And I thought, I don't want to teach people this. And if this is what happens. And so I ended up finding an awesome therapist who helped me with my anxiety and perfectionism. And then I did some supervision with the creators of intuitive eating because I found it on some like crazy there wasn't Instagram, you know, I just was searching on the internet, like trying to find something that was different from what I had internalized and yeah, intuitive eating, it saved me, you know, and it's the reason that I'm a dietitian today and I practice in the way that I do. Mm, thank you so much for sharing. And I, I love that you touched on perfectionism <laughs> and that kind of perfect black and white, all or nothing. Um, and then you mentioned that kind of, you know, binging behavior. And so yep. often we think that it's like a personal flaw and like a lack mm -hmm. of willpower, but we forget the fact that we are human and we can't be perfect all the time. And often it's such a level of restriction that yeah, binging is our body's response to keep us alive. Absolutely. I had the smallest list of foods that I had deemed, you know, healthy enough to be consuming that it was impossible, you know, just, yeah, so much restriction, so much deprivation. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to practice any level of self-compassion when our expectations for ourselves are just sky high. Like I remember, you know, everything was measured on my food scale and everything was frozen in my freezer and just being so hungry. And then having, you know, one bite of something else was just like this, fuck it. My whole day is ruined. What is wrong with me? I'm disgusting. And then all of that just fueled again, this kind of this binging behavior to escape myself almost because I was just my own bully. Um, yeah. So it just becomes such a downward spiral. Oh, it is. And you just always hope that you're not going to do it again, you know, and okay, mm -hmm. this is it. This is the last time. And, you know, and then things just swing back the other way when you're compensating for it the next day or later on or whatever. It's, oh, it's a terrible cycle. I'm so glad that found a way out and can now help other people find a way out. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's so disempowering to be in that cycle yeah. of every day, tomorrow's a new day. And this, this kind of little bit of hope that you bring into the next day, that it'll be different. And then every night or every, however often that happens, it kind of just extinguishing that light. And then each time you just become a little bit less of yourself and you feel a little bit more disappointed, a little bit less confident until eventually you're just like, what the fuck? Like, what has happened to me? Yeah, and it's, it's mm -hmm. so I love intuitive eating, obviously, like clearly I, I'm a huge <laughs> believer in it, um, but it is just, it radically changes things and it gives you permission to be human and eat all foods and not restrict and have self-compassion and all of these things. So it's just this beautiful packaged bundle that isn't easy in all times, you know, it's difficult, but it's, it's so worth it. Absolutely. It, it is. It's the best way to become the version of yourself that you were before all of this started or you evolved, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely a journey. And so I would love to know what is the most common issue that women come to you with and what do you advise them to do? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I, when I see people, they are at the point you just described 
where they are just beaten down. They're scared. They don't feel like themselves and they're obsessed with food. They're thinking about it all the time. They're preoccupied. They feel like a failure. They're always focused on the binging because that's what feels terrible. Right. And, um, and so that part is just so universal Um, Truly. I mean, not everyone ends up swinging into overeating or binging, but most people do just because of the way deprivation and, um, you know, we typically respond to restriction. And, um, you know, with most people, the first thing that you have to do, and you kind of refer to this a little bit, is start eating enough. And, you know, as a trained dietitian, that is the best thing that I can help people with is, hey, did you know that it makes so much sense that you're binging right now? And here's why. Let's look at how much food your body deserves and let's start there. And then after that, let's start working on that mental deprivation, that mental restriction and stepwise in a stepwise fashion, we're going to start bringing in foods that either you're overeating or foods that you're scared of. If you weren't somebody who was, you know, engaging in that or, or had flipped over into that cycle. And so we start small and we start to build up that confidence again of, oh, hey, you know, you can have um, something besides rice cakes in your pantry and you can eat it in a way that feels okay to you. We just have to figure out what's that starting point and then what's the plan so you can have this kind of structured path out of the place that you ended up in, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. And I, I think it's so important you touched on that people think that binging is the problem, but binging is the symptom, right? It's, it's not the issue here. It's a, the restriction is the issue and not eating enough food. And I think we, especially in this age of social media, we look at all these influencers and people and, you know, even on like TikTok, there's all this like 1200 calorie diet thing. And I'm just like, oh my God, like we're creating just monsters right now because like no one can survive off of that much food. Right. And then people think there's something wrong with them. They look at the social media influencers taking a picture with the hummus and the carrot, or, you know, even they're taking a picture eating the cookie, but then they spat it out after. And like, you know, it's just this very disordered thing. And so yeah, eating enough food and knowing that like, and we'll touch on this in a second, but like everyone's body is different when it comes to what that looks like. And we can't be looking to a friend or even a partner or a sister or whoever to understand what our own body needs. Oh, absolutely. And that's where like the other piece of the mental that comes in, like sometimes women come to me and they have started adding stuff back in. So they're like, oh my gosh, you know what? I started adding in more carbohydrates at breakfast. I had some rice with lunch or I had a sandwich instead of a salad and I'm still binging. Why? And they're freaking out because they feel like, oh my gosh, I took the first couple steps and now I'm not even doing it right. I'm different. I'm hopeless. And it's because that mental deprivation, we haven't had time to heal that yet. And so you might still have all these conditional thoughts or, well, if you have that, then you need to do this, or you can do that, but only so many times and only if somebody suggests it. And so there are these little tiny, more like kind of part two, like, like just, I call them like kind of under the surface. They're a little bit more undetectable. And, and, and then starting to work on those is when you start to build that like true, true momentum, but you can't do that mindset piece while you're still starving, like primally hungry, you know? 
Oh yeah. I used to think I'm like, I can just get rid of the binging part and keep the restriction. Like, I'm like, oh, that's not actually how it works. But yeah, (laughs) that is like eating enough food part one, but then all those little silent food rules that we have playing in the back of our head. And it takes time. Like you said, if we've lived, you know, our entire life being told that, you know, I'm so naughty for having a piece of chocolate. It's yeah. not going to be overnight that all of a sudden it feels really, you know, empowering to have a piece of chocolate. So it is consistently challenging that. And I love as well, like having the support with a coach or someone dietitian, whoever, to just kind mm-hmm. of have that, Hey, it's okay. Like, it's going to be fine. That kind of just reassurance and kind of that little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel when it can feel really scary. Exactly. Here's where you're headed. I know exactly, exactly. where you are and this is where you're moving, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having someone see you and where you are and just kind of hold your hand a little bit, like, oh, just, just the best because it can feel really overwhelming and scary. And so and yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit about how nutrition can't be a one size fits all. Right. And so that's really what diet culture kind of tries to tell us and sells us essentially. But why is that not necessarily true? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this question because, you know, as a dietitian, the biggest thing that I think we end up hearing nutrition through the lens of this is good, this is bad, don't eat this, eat that. And it it ends up kind of tainting our view of food where, oh my gosh, and, and that's where I'm kind of pulling together there are no right or wrong foods. Cause I think when it comes from diet culture, it's also coming from the place of like, don't eat this, eat that and buy our thing and follow our plan. So that's always kind of like a company there. And the reason that there's no, from a scientific angle, from a nutrition science piece, there's no right or wrong foods because we can't, there's not a single food that will harm our health or will save us, you know, as much as the superfood or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, um, we're being told is, is said. And so we have to look at like the big picture. So if I'm working with somebody and, um, let's say that they did a strength training workout yesterday and they were really, really tired. And they also had like a ton of meetings And then they always have a sandwich at lunch with an apple. Not that I advise like eating the same lunch every day, but like, let's say like uh, this week they have like a sandwich um, with an apple for lunch. Well, day two, they could potentially be way more hungry. Like day one, the, the, you know, sandwich and the apple might've been just fine, but day two, it may not be. And that's because like what I tried to, you know, represent there with the like strength training and the meetings and fatigue, there's all these factors that we have a standard amount of energy needs, but they vary day to day, whether we, um, you know, kind of what we need in the moment, um, our unique bodies, right? That's where it's that kind of like, hey, this plan will work for you just like it worked for her. Look at the before and after. And it's like, that might not work for your body because we all have different body shapes and sizes that are genetically predetermined. Our energy needs, our preferences. And like that can change like day to day seasons in our lives. Um, and I think like the other thing to think about with, nutrition not being one size fits all and there being no good or bad foods is that, um, you know, and this was the worst thing for a perfectionist to choose, but nutrition science is a science of correlation. 
There is no perfect answers when it comes to nutrition. And so what I mean by correlational data is that it's all associated with each other. So there is no study out there that says, if you eat a cherry, you're not going to get cancer. Or if you don't eat this food, you'll never die or whatever. You know, it's like this idea that there's this one thing that for sure is going to happen when in reality, there's so many factors and we can't in a lot of nutrition studies, um, not only would it be unethical, we, we can't really like, you know, hone in on one thing um, is in, in control for everything you know, because there's so many factors. And so a lot of times it's easy for researchers or somebody who's trying to maybe make a point, whether that's a diet book or try my way or do my thing to kind of do what's called cherry picking data, which cherry picking data is basically looking at um, a certain body of research, kind of confirming what you would like to see and ignoring a whole other body of research that is in direct conflict with what you're coming forward with. We can also do that through Googling too. We're looking for the one yeah. thing. Oh yeah, look at this. This is confirming everything I thought. And, um, and so it's really just looking at like, this is definitely not one size fits all because of our own individual energy needs, but also nutrition as a science, we want to do our best to look at the things that have been shown to be true over time. What kind of trends are emerging from this whole body of data, all of the data, that's what we want to be looking at. And that's why like sometimes if something I'm talking about, like, you know, carbs are good for you and here's why sounds so boring. Um, because it's what we've heard for so long, but these things are tried and true. And we do want to like take all new research into account. Obviously we want to stay current. We want to see what's going on, but we also have to fit that into the puzzle piece of what is everything else telling us and how does this fit in? It's like this big conversation back and forth between researchers. So that's why like, as a consumer, you're like, the other day I saw coffee is amazing for us and like, you know, helps us be more focused and it has antioxidants. And then, oh my God, I saw last week that coffee is going to harm my health so much and I should stop drinking it. And you just feel so confused. Well, that person, that reporter, that journalist, whoever wrote that article is maybe only reporting on one study or a small, you know, body of studies. Mm-hmm. So much mm, to I, it, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I love how you explain it because it is this huge, big puzzle. And I think what is so confusing to people is that we are reading news headlines of recent studies that have just come out that are not tried and tested, that are literally on mice or they're on right? like a group of like, you know, 20 middle-aged men or like something like <laughs> yeah. a really small sample size. And then it becomes taken from this random obscure study and they're like, oh, that's a catchy t- like a headline. So let's blow that out to some other news thing. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, this is the new superfood or this is the thing that's going to help you lose 20 pounds overnight or whatever it is. And it's like, if you trace it back to the source, it's like some person in the lab fed one mouse something and the mouse looks right. different the next day. Like, it's like, so like completely like broken telephone where we get to in these like news articles. And so- yeah, I'm bringing it back to like, okay, what is this actually like showing us over time? Like what is consistent here? And knowing again, that it is different for different people, like how people process food, everything, um, different bodies. But like when we're looking at some really outlier data, it's like maybe we should, you know, just look at that a little bit more closely instead of, you know, incorporating that into our life as a new food rule. That's fact. 
Right. Oh, the food rule formation. Thank you for taking it there. Cause that's so easy to do. You're like, oh my gosh, I saw this was trending on TikTok or I saw three people share this on Facebook. So you feel like that's maybe what I need to do. And especially when you're trying to heal your relationship with food, like, am I the only person on the planet trying to do this around me, you know? And then you see all of that going on. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. There's a quote that always stuck with me. It's you'll never be free by implementing control. And I always was just like, how much more control can I get into my life with different food rules? So I thought control was the way that I'd have freedom with food in my life. But it just you just end up with more and more food rules, more and more things that make you feel terrible about yourself. And then you just end up in this pile of nothing. Um, and it's yeah. just, it doesn't turn out well. <laughs> truly, truly. And that's, I think like the, what's one of the things that's cool about intuitive eating is it is making you the expert of your own body. And that's ideal. You know what I was talking about earlier of that, like kind of starting with people and helping them find some structure and understanding what their body deserves. And then it's kind of like training wheels. It's like, go on and go forth. You know, this was just a recommendation. This is what I, um, you know, determined your body needs. Um, but Hey, again, question two, you know, one size fits all, it's going to change day to day. It's going to change throughout your life. So, um, but yeah, you won't need me at that point. <laughs> yeah. I love that because there is an element of, I mean, intuitive eating really is about trusting yourself again. And we've been told our entire life that we can't trust ourselves. We have to listen to all these different external sources. And even like my fitness pal, oh my God, that is just like, that, that whole company and all those little companies like that needs to be brought down. Cause like, you know, it's, it's things like, oh, you want to lose this many pounds a week and you eat this much. And it's like the exact same amount of calories or the macros, or whatever it is every single day. It doesn't matter if you smashed a huge workout. It doesn't matter. You said like, if you were in meetings all day, it's like still the same amount. And then you're like, oh, well, I only have this many calories left to eat tonight. And I'm so hungry binge. Like, it's like, you know, it just, it just sets people up for this feeling of failure or an inadequacy. And it just, it doesn't know your body. It's a calculation that doesn't know anything about you. Um, oh. I know. <laughs> My fitness pal, I could have a whole like series on like how, oh, I'm, I'm sure even if I did was like, did a little like send in your stories of how my fitness pal like ruined your life. That would be like a two year, like podcast saga of like, right. like, it's just not a good place to be. It's just anyways, it go off a whole tangent of that. <laughs> right. We could do another episode on my fitness pal only. <laughs> oh man. That was so much of my life. Jeez. Like even like kind of a side note, like it, it, the reason that we want to often shrink our body and look a certain way is that we can connect to the people around us and like feel loved and accepted and good enough. And like, I wasn't going out for meals because I wasn't going to be able to scan the back of a package and have it tell me exactly what the caloric amount was. Yeah. Or maybe I was at a dinner and I was so stressed out that I didn't know what was in my food, that my head was in my phone trying to estimate how much chicken breast was on my plate and how much oil the waiter would have put on the potatoes or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I was so anxious and stressed that I wasn't even connecting. So it was just like, it, it was just this big runaround to get to where I didn't even want to go. <laughs> yeah, control took you away from your life was, was mm -hmm. the opposite of what you wanted. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so something that came up on your social media that I thought was interesting, and I wanted to dig a little bit more into because I think it really is the way I look at it, intuitive eating, so much of the basis of it um, is food neutrality. 
So could you explain a little bit more about kind of what that is and how you can start to achieve that? Absolutely. What I love to think about when it comes to food neutrality, it's this idea of removing moral value from our foods. And, you know, one of the things that I tend to bring it back to with my background in nutrition science is looking at how does our body see foods versus how we see foods. So we might be looking at a shelf and see, okay, I should get those potato chips because it has matte packaging and it says it's non-GMO and it looks like it's healthier for me. And then these potato chips and they, you know, are not Mac packaging and, you know, who knows, whatever, you know, we, whatever we do to deem them morally inferior. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's looking at like, okay, what are we seeing on the outside? What is our head saying to us about it? And of course we've been taught this. So none of this is like to you as an individual, but what have you heard about this and what does that mean to you? And then it's taking it back into how our bodies look at food. So how your body would look at those potato chips is these are carbohydrates and fat. They're going to break down into glucose and fatty acids. And so when I'm thinking about removing moral value from food, I try to see it as like, how does our body see things? And does it know that that was this type of brand or this type of food? And again, we're taking it back to that kind of big picture of what I was talking about with like correlational data with nutrition or no one size fits all with, with eating is our bodies let us make mistakes with food. So if we eat a little bit more than our body needs, or if we eat something that doesn't sit well with us, or we eat a little too much of something and then we end up regretting it later, our body's cool with that. It can totally handle it. And it's more about those like big long-term patterns, how we eat day to day. A lot of the way, one of the ways I think about that is, okay, if you were in school studying, you're in a class and you got A's on your midterms and your finals and you missed a couple pop quizzes, you still get an A, right? And so I think about those times that we quote unquote mess up with eating, or we feel like we ate the less virtuous thing It's to remember that our bodies have our backs. They're not judging us. And so let's not judge ourselves. And, you know, in addition to like the dietary patterns, there's also like components of the meals. That's where I think we're looking at like, you know, the no right or wrong foods. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say that like white bread is one of those, Oh, that's bad. You should never eat it. You know, your blood sugar is going to go through the roof and you're not going to get any fiber in your diet. Well, let's back up. What chances are you're not eating white bread by itself. Um, chances are you're toasting it, you're having it with a meal, um, and you're eating it with some other things. So if you're, let's say you're having white bread with um, peanut butter and chia seeds on it. So we have some protein and we and fat, and then we have some fiber. We have some omega-3s from the chia seeds. Our body's going to get a combination of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats from that snack. And it's not going to know there's white bread in here. It's going to go, okay, I'm getting this entire meal at one time. So again, all foods are good. We're removing moral value from it. We're looking at the bigger picture of how we're feeding ourselves. Mm, 
So good. I love that. I love that because yeah, when you just look at it from how your body sees it and we remove all the fancy packaging and all the news headlines, it's like, how does my body actually see this? And I can just kind of imagine when you see like a chemical breakdown of things, you know, like the lines and the circles and stuff, and it's just like, that's how my body sees it. Um, And yet here I am assigning all this moral value to it, which just like, it doesn't serve you when you do that. Like it just doesn't help. Um, Well, it ends up sticking to you, right? Because you're, if you eat something bad, you're bad too. And oh, it's awful. Mm -hmm. And the irony of it as well is like, when we are in this state of like, and I'm not good enough, I'm a failure, like we're stressing yourself out. We're like driving up cortisol, epinephrine, and like all of those have a negative effect on our body as well. So it's just like, it's such the opposite of way that we want to go with things. Um, And I loved your example of the tests and like kind of like the average of the pop quizzes. And I kind of think about it as well, like when you have like a day of eating where it's maybe wasn't quite in alignment with what you were wanting, or maybe you ate in a way that didn't make you like you felt sick or whatever that is. And it's like, okay, yeah, like you can just get back all, you know, get back to where you want to do tomorrow. Like it's not a big deal. Like it's like you said, like the average versus the analogy I think of, it's like, if you forgot to brush your teeth one day, you would just be like, well, fuck it. I'm not brushing my teeth anymore. Like I missed one day. Yeah. We're done here. Like, sorry to my dentist. Yeah. Literally. So it's like, that's not how it works. Like your body is so resilient. It's so intelligent and knows exactly what it needs to do. So we don't need to kind of like throw the baby out of the bathwater or like, you know, like stop brushing our teeth. It's just like, you just go on living your life and not have it turn into this, like, I'm broken. What is wrong with me moment? It's like, you're human and you have permission to be human. Absolutely. We do not have to be good at eating. You know, it's, I think that's where I went really wrong when in my training. And I was so lucky that I kind of had that moment before I started working with anybody and was able to fix myself. So I was able to kind of pass that along to other people like, wait a minute, that's just not how it works. Our bodies are so resilient. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Bodies and are fucking cool. Yeah. And that's <laughs> why we're here today. You know, you can recover from any, anything, mm-hmm. anything. And I've worked with the severest of the severest eating disorders. The only thing that is medically irreversible is really advanced osteoporosis. And even then you can be aware of it. You can take care of yourself, just like if you had any other illness um, that you would want to take care of and monitor, everything Mm -hmm. else is completely reversible. Your body is so amazing. Mm -hmm. And as you say that, don't wait to a point where it feels like it's not reversible. Uh (laughs) Because I I know like so many people were like, oh, I'm not, I'm not sick enough, or I'm not to a point where I need help because I'm not that thin. And you know, it's, it's, never think that you're, it's too soon to get help or that you're undeserving getting help or, you know, I don't look a certain way, so I shouldn't get help. Um, it's always the right time to get help. Even if you have to think about it as like preventative, um, however you have to frame it in your brain, like you deserve to be able to eat what you want. You deserve to be able to love your life and love your body. Um, and anyone telling you differently, or even part of your brain telling you differently is a fucking liar. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And how I practice as a clinician is prevention if possible, because we really don't want anyone to ever have to deal with this, but then as soon as possible, because it's like a cancer, you know, why would in any other field, we wouldn't say, oh, well, let's wait until see I'm at a stage four and then everyone will take my cancer seriously. Like, absolutely not. We want to catch it as soon as possible. It's just as serious. It's just as, you know, needed. And if anything, it's more painful because people don't see it on the outside. So you're just suffering internally. And oh my gosh, uh, yes, 
a hundred percent all day, every day, <laughs> get mm-hmm. help immediately. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so I would love to hear mm-hmm. one of your favorite tools that we can start implementing today mm-hmm. that can help us to start eating intuitively. I love this question and it goes. So what I'm thinking is it goes along with the conversation that we have been having today where you want to, one of the biggest parts of intuitive eating, and I'm sure you talk about this in other episodes. So I hope that this is familiar to your listeners where we're looking at this idea of internal and external. So one of the things that we end up, um, like we've been talking about is kind of picking up on all of these rules and all of these, you know, kind of morality, um, driven messages around eating and this kind of idea that we're like walking a tightrope, like we're just going to mess up. We're messing up every day. And then the shame of overeating, the shame of binging, or even just, like I said, if you're not, if you haven't swung into those patterns, just that fear. And that anxiety, being around foods, thinking about those foods, hearing people talk about food, it's so stressful. And so one of it, if we think about intuitive eating as a journey back to ourselves and getting in touch with ourselves, the best thing we can do when it comes to intuitive eating is start to push out those external things that we've heard over the years and all of those thoughts, the clickbait, all the diety stuff, all the rules that we've heard. And I've said, Hey, nutrition is a correlational science and there's no right answer. There's a lot of stuff that we know that's been shown to true over time, shown to be true over time, but there's nothing perfect. It's not one size fits all. You get to decide what you like, what type of foods you like, how foods make you feel. And so along those lines, I have a mini exercise for for you guys. And it's getting in touch with what you actually think. That's the important thing. And so a lot of times our heads have been filled with all of these diet thoughts that we've been talking about. Um, And so we can kind of walk through a series of questions to get us back to us, to get us thinking about, well, what do I think about that? So let me walk you through a couple examples. Uh, So the first one is, have you heard that eating after 8 p.m. is bad? It's wrong. You shouldn't be eating late, right? Um, you're getting ready to go to bed. You should have eaten earlier. And now you're just going to store it all as fat or whatever else you've heard. So the first thing you want to think about is where did you hear that? Where did you hear that? Was it some fat loss coach that you worked with, you know, 10 years ago? And you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know if they, I have no idea. I don't think that was relevant for me. Right. And so think about the source and then the relevant to you is, well, I mean, as much as I, you know, I'm unhappy with my weight and I'm not really there. I, you know, I know fat loss isn't my goal currently. My goal right now is to heal my relationship with food. So maybe that's really not relevant advice. Um, and do you, you know, do you know that to be true? Um, do you know that to be true? Have you ever heard anything else that said, Hey, you know what? I have a friend that eats after 8 PM all the time. And that seems to go okay for her. Um, so you're thinking about, you know, you're, you're trying to think critically for yourself and then to kind of finish it off, to get really connected as you say, what has been my experience with that? And so maybe your answer is, you know what? It's true. I really don't like to eat too late at night. Um, because I work all day. And so I like to have energy while I'm working. And so that's important for me. But I also, um, I don't really get to have dinner until my kids go to bed. And so that's usually around eight o'clock. And so it actually really makes sense for me to eat late at night because I'm not going to be able to eat earlier or, you know, when I work second shift or on the weekends, I really love eating a late dinner. And it just totally makes sense for me. So you're going into yourself and you're personalizing that information because 
I can tell you there is no research out there that says at 8 p.m., people all around the world, their bodies completely shut off and something changes. It doesn't happen that way. So you get to decide what's good for you. And then let's go through one more example so we can really get this process to stick these questions. So the next example is don't eat carbs with dinner. Okay. Where did I hear that? Oh, my pediatrician mentioned it to, or I guess it wouldn't be a pediatrician. I don't know. Um, a doctor, my doctor um, said that to me one time and they were also promoting a very low carbohydrate diet at the time. And so is it relevant? Uh, well, I don't know. Um, I really enjoy running and uh, I also crave carbs a lot. Um, so I'm wondering if that's really good information for me. Um, and when I think about my experience not eating carbs for dinner, I find that I tend to eat a lot at night after dinner. If I didn't have them then, I seem to end up eating them. Um, so I wonder if um, for me, I need to eat more carbohydrates, both during the day and at dinner. And then I seem to not crave them as much after dinner. So going back to your own experience and trusting that to be true, which I know is so hard. Because part of this is that you lose trust with yourself because you're listening to everyone else. So I know that people aren't going to like ask themselves these three questions and boom, my life has changed. But I hope that it can be a series of things that you can use, prompts that you can use to kind of get back in touch and critically think about what makes sense for you in your life. What do you know nutritionally to be true? And I guess there is a bit of experimentation that'll have to come with this too. Mm-hmm. It's going to be cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the thing. Intuitive eating, experimenting, getting like in touch with yourself again. It's it's not going to be perfect. That's the point of it. Like it is getting curious and having that critical thinking and yeah. questioning. And I, I love that because we know our own body best. No one else does. And so we have to be the one asking ourselves questions um, instead of just taking everything to be true that we hear from everyone else who, as you mentioned, like usually has not to your agenda, you know, it's like, you know, a fat loss coach telling you don't eat after eight or, you know, the doctor who's pushing the low carb diet right now. And he gets a kickback from blah, blah, blah. Like even with a lot of these studies, when you trace it back, it's usually funded by some pretty suspicious people that are, you know, you know, they really benefit from a certain, you know, like having certain results come up. So yeah. Yeah. Listening to your body, it knows best. I love that. Right. Um, And I think because we all eat, these messages are everywhere. So not to pick on doctors or fat loss coaches, but you know, there's this element (laughs) of, yeah, hey, let's stop taking so much stock in what other people say about food. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. And yeah, I was going to go down the whole road about like weight loss and how that's a whole, but anyway, so I was like, that's, that could be a whole other spinoff episode. Um, but so the question I ask all my guests, um, if you had to weigh in on one thing that makes you happy, what would that be? This question is always going to be time by myself. It took me a long time to figure out because I love connecting with people, but I need that time to recharge and get connected to me. It helps me show up for other things in my life. Um, I love working with people and I love doing what I do. I have a lot of relationships in my life, but I enjoy my own company and I'm, I'm a better person to everyone else when I've had that time to get in touch and get connected. I love that. 
I'm the exact same way. I'm like, I can't <laughs> give to other people unless I take some time for me. And like, I'm like I really enjoy just hanging out with myself, which is a pretty, again, even interesting. Like I had to go through the journey of intuitive eating in order to be able to say that because before I had no interest in being alone with myself and I was trying to numb and avoid because I didn't like who I was. And so it is actually, I think, such a marker of where people are in their journey when they are able to really enjoy that time with themselves. Um, yeah. That's what's so cool about this process is um, like you and I have both found is that it ripples out to every area of your life and you just find that you're more assertive, you're more in touch, you're more um, connected, you know what you need. It's, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your whole life just absolutely transforms for the better and why people, you know, starting their journey, I'm like, you have no idea how good it's going to get. Like it's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's work, but it's, oh man, the gifts are coming. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so where can people find you? I am most often hanging out on Instagram at aligned nutrition. I also have a podcast, the aligned nutrition podcast, which you will be on soon. We'll be recording that in a couple of weeks. And then also my website, alignnutrition.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on today. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I know my listeners will as well. And I'm looking forward to our conversation on your podcast. And just, yeah, thank you so much again. Uh, Thank you for having me. Hey, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, then I invite you to please rate and review on Apple. It means so much to me and I would so appreciate you. Now, if you're interested to learn more about my one-on-one coaching program, 90 Days to Food Freedom, then please check out my website at www.victoriaevansofficial.com forward slash programs where you can learn more about how to work with me. And if you're not already following me on Instagram, please do. It's at Victoria Evans Official. Definitely shoot me a DM. I'm always doing little trainings, giving little tips, as well as sharing my stories. So I'd love to have you there. Oh, and I'm always dancing. And if you're looking for even more support, coaching, community, trainings, all of that, then definitely join my Facebook group, Intuitive Eating Support Group for Badass Women. And of course, all this will be below for you in the show notes. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a fabulous day. Bye-bye.